Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I'm Angela Ledgerwood, and this is Lit Up, a podcast about books, writers, life, and love, and all things literary. Welcome to Lit Up This Week. We have Claire Massoud on the show, talking about her most recent novel, The Burning Girl. Ever since I read her novel, The Emperor's Children, I've wanted to have a conversation with Claire, and it's a big dream to have her on the show. I also learned that she spent a lot of time in Australia growing up, so we begin the show talking about that. But to give you a little bit of context about her novel, The Burning Girl, Julia and Cassie have been friends since nursery school. They have shared everything, including their desire to escape the stifling limitations of their birthplace, the quiet town of Royston, Massachusetts. But as the two girls enter adolescence, their paths diverge and Cassie sets out on a journey that will put her life in danger and shatter her oldest friendship. It's my great pleasure to have Claire Massoud here in the studio with us. We're here to talk about her most recent novel, The Burning Girl. Welcome to the studio. Thank you so much, Angela. It's wonderful to be here. Well, and there's a special treat here, and it's some lamingtons. And I have to say, in in preparation for this, I was kind of doing a deep dive, and I listened to you read your story, Land Divers, um, and I'll link to it so everyone can listen to it at the New York Review of Books. And I was listening to it last night, and... I mean, we both lived, I grew up in Sydney and you had lived there for five years and the word lamingtons came up in this story and then came the torrential rainpour in a December, you know, on a December day and then all these words that made me so homesick. So we have many things to talk about. Um, You won't eat the lamingtons while we're talking, but maybe (laughs) afterwards. Um, But to launch into this book, uh, there is a wonderful profile of you in the New York Times by a writer, Ruth Ruth Franklin. And in it, she revealed that when she'd spoken to you that the the germination of this story had come from something you'd heard um, when you were a child in Sydney. Can you reveal that to us? Well, I, I... it, it, I, it was something that happened after I left Sydney. Oh, yeah. So it was it, what happened uh, was that I um, we lived there till I was nine, and then we moved to Toronto. And and I I finished fourth class in December, and I started fifth grade in in January, and just did half a year. But I, um, I kept in touch with friends by writing letters, as one did back then. And some years later. Uh, not that many years later, uh, uh, w- one of the girls in our 
class uh, who you know who I'd known growing up had had I mean her st- her story they, my friends wrote to me about her story and um, and some things that had happened to her and and um, in the course of you know and the, the sort of the end of the story was that she she died um, so it's not the story yeah it's not, not this story. story but 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 I think one of the things that was uh, it was a story that haunted me and one of the things that was very um, as an adult that is really interesting to me is this knowledge that I didn't ever really know what happened. That that I, I knew a series of events as they were told to me by people who were at the time also kids, right? So I'm sure there were, may have been things that they didn't know or things that they only knew as rumors, you know, and, and the way in which a, a, a sort of group of people make a story or tell the story of something as if it were actual fact. And and more recently, um, just not long ago, the, 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 I, I, I wrote a, a little piece about that, that made reference to this, but in the most general way. But it was a piece that was being fact-checked, and the fact-checker went and found the newspaper clipping. And the newspaper clipping... What did it reveal? A different story? Seemed like a completely different story from what I remembered. And yet I have these very distinct memories, not least because then... Um, in 1987, when I finished college, I went and spent a, uh, a summer, which was a winter, working in Sydney, and I got back in touch with all sorts of um, people I'd known when I was a kid, and I have a memory of sitting in a coffee shop in Double Bay. There was this girl I'd been at, at school with who became a travel agent, and you know, she we were sitting near in a coffee shop near her travel agency, and she was telling me, and she retold, I said, what really happened? And she told me, and I remember very vividly the details of what she said happened, None of which correspond to to what is listed in the paper. So, so the question is then: Did I did I make it all up? Did somebody along the line, you know, or did the girls have it right? Did the girl, yeah, or did the girls have it right and the official story is different? You never know. Never know. But I feel like um, having, I mean, the burning girl and and uh, land divers. I don't know why I'm kind of wedding them together somehow but they both to me felt like an exploration of this the moment of innocence lost like when young girls lose their innocence and not even sexually or just an awareness of it's dangerous there out there for women um was that something that you were particularly going for in this book well I think I was the answer would be yes and no. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I, I, I think uh, I was I was I wanted to try to to um, to write about to try to articulate what that transition is like that is that is both so fast and so slow uh, that sort of middle school time from from the freedom, innocence, uh, thoughtlessness, carelessness of childhood. Into, in, particularly for girls, in, in, into, um, in, into some semblance of adulthood or proto adulthood, you know, what adolescence is, which I think because of, of, of the way our culture um, teaches us does involve fear. It involves uh, becoming, becoming afraid that something might happen to this new body that we're, we've just developed, you know, that, that a woman's body is something very different from a child's body. And that you, you, you know, I, I, I think if you, if you, if you think, say, about, con- say, um, conservative Muslim 
cultures. And if you see a, a family with, with children of various ages and the nine or 10 year old girl is wearing jeans and a t-shirt and then the girl at 14, her hair is covered and she's dressed like her mother. And, and in fact, if you, if, you know, that's a very short space of time in which something very, I mean, in that culture, it's a very distinct expression of what happens, right? And now we will, now we will veil you and you will be protected from men's eyes. Um, but some version of that goes on in, in our culture. I mean, it manifests differently. Like maybe the girl, maybe the 14 year old in our culture is wearing fewer clothes, <laughs> like skimpier clothes, but, 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 it, but, it, but, but some version of that, the sexualization of, of girls into women is, is, is happening in that time. And, and, and I think we're taught as girls, a lot of that is presented as, as things shutting down. Like don't wear that super short skirt. Don't, you know, don't, go out at night by yourself don't you know a list of things that aren't that aren't positive exciting reinforcing things necessarily well and reading the book cast me back to a memory of being with a friend who's a mum in the car with her six-year-old daughter and the news came on and I think it had been reporting a sh- I mean there's been so many terrible things happening um, but I remember you know her mum speaking in code to me and the daughter, you know, way ahead of it going, Mom, like, I I read the news. I know what it's all about. And I thought about um, there's a very powerful moment in The Burning Girl when the news is coming on and when the newspaper um, is flashing, um, you know, murder, bludgeoned girls. And when, at what point do we keep kids away from that? Like the protective mother instinct is to keep our children as innocent as they can and yet you have to kind of illuminate them to the dangers that are out there. It's this like very tenuous moment as a parent. But I'm wondering, there is a great passage that I'd love you to read from in a moment, but before we get into that, do you remember the first falling in love with your best friend? Or how was that because you had to move around? Well, I I remember... um, you know, there, there's the first, there's the first best friend, of who w- when I was so young that I don't remember so much about, you know, about say her the, her life outside our friendship, the first and that that would have been you know first grade or kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Then there's the the first best friend whose life I feel like I knew everything about, also in Sydney, um, Emily Horton, where is she today? <laughs> um, and, and then you know, you, I think th- there th- there are these passions that punctuate your your life, and and part of the thing of moving houses uh, and moving countries is that I um, I don't know where Emily Horton is today, and I feel that you know chances are she probably wouldn't still be my best friend, <laughs> you know. But 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 if I'd stayed in one place, I would know. I would know where she is. I mean, I know she her parents were British from England, and I think they went back to England. And it's, I know she went to a girls' boarding school in England, and then beyond that, her parents moved to Hong Kong, I think. And then I don't know, I don't know where she is now. But. It sounds like you're in a very glamorous part of Sydney. Which school was it that you went to? Because in the piece, it says that if you did cartwheels, noon you weren't wearing the right underwear you'd get in trouble and I had when I think to a similar school where you had a certain type of bloomer yeah they mm-hmm. were called yep. and then I re- remembered 
you know, giving a friend a, mas- a massage, like, you know, just sitting on the grass doing that and a teacher coming over and saying, young ladies, don't, as if, you know, it, w- it was showing our lesbian tendencies, you wow. know, and that would just had to be shut down. Wow. And it was her bizarre reaction. Like we were so innocent. We just would straddle one another and like get down to, you know, yep. pushing out each other's shoulders. And it was her kind of imposition of, you know, morality on us. But what was it like there for you? Um, Yeah, so the school I went to was Kambala. Of course. I have some friends who went there. Right on the hill. It's like, could you describe it, this gothic? Well, when I was, I'm a good bit older than you, I think. And when I was a kid, I... um, the year Picnic at Hanging Rock oh. came out, right? We all felt like this is about our school. So I don't know if, if, if any of your listeners have seen that uh, film, but it's it's an early Peter Weir film about, about a Victorian uh, girls' boarding school on Valentine's Day when things get very gothic indeed, mm-hmm. you know, and... and um, and it was, you know, yes, it, they, because they had borders at Campbell. I, I assume they still do. I was a day student, but but they had borders, and they had borders very young. My sister had a very good friend who boarded from, you know, fourth class or fifth class. She was she was living at the school, you know, and there was the headmistress at the time wore a, a purple cape and um, <laughs> was was sort of forbidding and glamorous and had gray curly hair, Miss Gibbon. See how it, they really imprint themselves on yeah. you, on yeah. us. We had an American headmistress for a period and it was the talk of, you know, our, the whole community because she wore dangly earrings and it was a, like women, she's a bad example because women in business shouldn't wear dangly earrings oh. and everyone thought it was because she was American right? That and, is- you know, it was we're bringing back... The, and it was a very Christian school, kind of an easier way, you know. It was just a funny time. It was I, I would just interject, though. I came across at one point, this is years ago now, notebooks um, that had, you know, we had put away and saved from 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 those years. And, and in fourth class, I had a teacher I um, adored who I think was sort of, I don't know if she went on to stay, but her name was Miss. I had many teachers. One adored one's teachers. That was part of the oh, thing. Yeah. But Mrs. Perini, looking at the first weeks of school in my notebook, Leibniz, this is like I'm, a, I'm nine, Leibniz was a philosopher. Spinoza was a, like all of, she was teaching us stuff that, that, wow. that went right over our heads. And, and so there was that sort of marvelous thing too that so much depended on the individual, uh, the, you know, I, I, who knows what the sort of broader curriculum was supposed to be, but I'm sure it wasn't supposed to include Spinoza for the nine-year-olds. And how, how sort of fabulous, how crazy and how fabulous. Well, and I love in the book because Cassie and Julia, our main, you know, friends, there is a one line where you say, you know, our friendship, repeat if I'm, you know, butchering it a bit, um, that a friendship can almost be destroyed by bureaucracy. And when you're that age, you're, you'd get the class schedule and I'm sure everyone's had the feeling and you're not with your friends. And you yeah. then you see that your best friend is with another kind of semi-best friend. And you just know they're going to become, you know, really you know close friends. Goes. And you're going to be shut out of it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, well, this might be a great spot for you to read um, a, a passage kind of from the very well, early part of the book. Just to give that sense of that kind of puberty moment and... What a friend means to you. 
Sure. If I could go back, I'd write it all down. The secrets we told each other and the plans we made. The songs we listened to, even. When we turned up her iPod so it sounded like a scratchy transistor radio. California Girls by Car Katy Perry. And that hit Rihanna made with Eminem. So catchy but creepy when you actually listen to the words. Stand there and watch me burn. My mother changed the station when it came on in the car, shaking her head and saying, Girls, I'm sorry, but as a feminist, I object. It was the summer of my Stars and Stripes bikini, the top stars, the bottom stripes, and I was proud that when I lay flat on my back, the bottom stretched from hip bone to hip bone. In between there was a dip, my stomach was a dip, and if I lift my, lifted my head a little and looked down, I could glimpse the dark curling hair between my legs that was newly there. Cassie, so fair, had to wear a ton of sunblock, and even so she'd burn wherever she missed a bit. I remember the night she slept over and the backs of her thighs near her knees were almost purple. My mother soaked cloths in vinegar and laid them on the burn to take away some of the heat. Cassie shrieked when the first cloth went on, but she didn't cry. Cassie almost never cried. That summer, we volunteered at the animal shelter out of town on Route 29 and each adopted a kitten. The kittens were sisters from the same litter, two tortoiseshells small enough then to hold in your hand with tiny white teeth and opalescent claws that dug pulsingly but painlessly into your jeans when you set the creatures on your lap. She named hers Electra. I called mine Xena after the warrior princess because it sounded good alongside Electra. Xena is now a plump and placid puff of fur on the cusp of middle age whose warrior nature extends only to chasing birds and mice under cover of darkness. She brings us occasional mangled offerings and deposits them on the kitchen floor as if we might fry them up for breakfast. But within a year, Electra, still small, had vanished in the night. That last sentence really struck me and especially on kind of going back again because it felt like I mean there's a foreboding throughout the book from that very first page but I mean we're not giving too much away but are you interested in disappearing girls or even girls that even in their mind disappear or or shape shift yes Yes, I, I think, I think that, um, I think that nobody I know of makes that transition from childhood to adulthood without being marked, right? Without chain, without real trans. I mean, people are really transformed. I don't, I don't know if I can point to someone and say she's exactly the same as she was when she was eight, right? I, I, I just. I wish I wish I, I I could, and and I think that one of it's one of the. To me, one of the mysteries and and very painful things about um, about growing up, that we don't for, for even the people we know so well we don't know what happens. And now, as a parent, I look at my kids and I think. What is what have you experienced that I don't know and will never know, you know? Um, but that in some cases, that marks people beyond or changes or damages or, you know, them beyond beyond recognition, right? Whether they whether they come out the other side or or in terrible cases don't. I mean, people are are marked and they're and they're marked where you can't see it. You don't know what it because you you think if I could just see it I could fix it if I just knew what it was I could make it better, but so often we we just we really don't know, and sometimes you can't 
save a friend from that pain. Like in this, in this case, I think we feel what Julia feels is that she wants a way back into her friend, um, but Cassie's decided that there are boundaries now. And I think it made me think of kind of adult relationships too when a friend reveals too much when they tell you a bit too much about their husband or their boyfriend or a family kind of interior private thing and sometimes that makes you strong you know the friendship stronger because there's trust there but other times you're frozen out right they then retreat right they don't that, that's it it's like the tipping point. It's like, do we go here? And we, I mean, I guess it happens in romantic relationships too. If when something happens and you either move forward, but when that person retreats, it's so heartbreaking. I, I, I think, I mean, I think that's it, it. It's something Dostoevsky writes so well about is, is how human behavior is kind of perverse and that the reactions are not necessarily what you would expect them to be. And, and you would think that if somebody confides in you and, you know, and you're receptive and, and, and that then that should just strengthen everything. But in fact, often there's shame or fear mm. that they experience and, and, and their reaction is to, is to step away, even though you didn't do anything, right? It's, but it's about how they're responding to you, yeah. But on that, on that note... Because I read about how you met your husband. And so it sounds like you met one another kind of one night, almost by chance. And those conversations never stopped. The good kind, not, not the bad kind, the way someone retreats. Is that how it feels like? Um, Is that what it feels like? Kind of. I mean, I, you're it, so lucky. It, it, it always I, I read it and I was like, oh, my gosh. It, it, but you don't, you don't, it seems like jinxing it to, you know, anything can change, right? You don't want to, you don't, I, I feel, I mean, I, I, I think I, I feel incredibly, um, incredibly fortunate, incredibly blessed to, to have had as many conversations as we've had thus far. I always think that I always think like if I'm hit by a bus tomorrow, I've been so lucky, you know, I, um, because, because there there's there's the fact that you know we make each other laugh and it's fun um but we also care, you know we both care about books and we both care about writing and so we can have those conversations too and and i think it's it's not often it's not often that you know people in their intimate lives also ha have a shared uh a, sh a shared uh, uh, professional seems the wrong thing to call this. Yeah, to, to call, but, uh, but a shared sort of yeah, a, sh a shared love of what you actually spend your life doing. So, um, so I think you know we it's it's like um, it's like an added bonus. It's a treat. And then having kids because there's a, a kind of a disorienting moment. I mean, there are several disorienting moments, but one of them is for Julia's mother. And she has this realization, kind of just what you were talking about a few minutes ago of kind of seeing your child and it's almost like the first time you catch your kid, I'm imagining coming home from a party or like smelling of smoke or knowing that they're, that they're lying to you. Right. right. And you just go, who, what is, who are they? What is their alter ego? 
who are they in the world that I will never see, right? I remember when I was about, ooh, 12, maybe 13, and a boy asked me to the movies, and I was too scared to ask my parents, so I just told my parents I was going with a girlfriend, and then ran into my mother outside the cinema. Oh, no. Yes, I ran into the mother, into my mother, and, and it was terrible. It was terrible. It was exactly that moment. Like, I had lied to her. It was a barefaced lie. I said, I'm, you know, I'm going to the movies with Rachel or whatever, and, mm-mm, you know, there was Ian. <laughs> what did she do? Did she... Help play it cool because she she did she knew. was very tight lipped she said well we will speak when you get home <laughs> which then of course you know oh the whole thing is the ruined movie, did not make the movie very enjoyable and, and afterwards I was like I gotta go I gotta go <laughs> oh I remember smuggling you know miniature bottles of yep. you know the travel ones think to a party and thinking oh so great well my mother found them afterwards and they had been she goes oh good luck with those because they were (laughs) completely and we had tried to have some I think it was Bailey's or something the whole thing was just like congealed snotty stuff I'm like is this what alcohol is and she said that they have been in the back cupboard for (laughs) decades you know but I got in trouble and it hadn't even you know worked oh all those things but it to come back to Cassie and her mother, Bev, can you, I found Bev one of the most fascinating characters. Can you talk a little bit about her and her, um, you know, firstly, I love how you describe that she kind of embraces when people pass away because they're going on to the, you know, wonderful heavens and that was defined by her religion, but also then how that kind of, what that inflicts upon the household. Well, um, she she is somebody who lives for and through her daughter. They've been, you know, they've been so close. Um, and 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 I just in terms of the sort of her, their uh, devout Christianity. I mean, I I I I feel I've known that the the children of um, of of devout parents who who who. Bef- what sort of go along with it for quite a ways until they until they wake up at some moment and say you know I'm not I'm not going to go to church anymore I'm done, but it isn't that they ha- there are some children who are who are fervent themselves but there are others who just go along with it and are like you know there's a cute guy at the it, there are a couple cute boys in the in the sort of catechism class or whatever like it, it, I can get through it um, and 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 Cassie's sort of like that I mean she's not it, it's certainly in, 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 she's in she's not somebody who's questioned. Her, she hasn't questioned her mother at all, and her mother expects that. They, I mean, you know, they have this this really powerful intimacy uh, until until this man arrives in their lives, and um, and I think, you know, part part of in 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 my mind, you know, part of part of part of Bev, Bev remains somewhat mysterious, and 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 there is this thing that I feel that because it's Julia's storytelling we 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 know what julia knows and there are mm. sort of pieces that would make make her her profile make somewhat more sense but but they don't occur to julia or julia doesn't see them and so that that that, that what she see you know that if in maybe this isn't what you experienced when reading it but it's what i was hoping that you know that you you have these things and you understand 
you accept that they make up a person, but that they don't, you don't sort of see her in focus in the way you might if it were an adult describing her. And, um, and you know, one, one of the things that I, um, that I imagine if I, if, if, you know, I, if, if I knew Bev, as it were, um, as an adult, is that she's somebody who has been v sort of fierce and, and, and courageous in, her, in a difficult life um, and has a lot of defenses, religion being one of them, you know, but is also, I mean, she's, she's sort of very overweight. Um, she's, she's, she's somebody who, who is always perfectly turned out. That's a sort of armor, you know, she, she, but, but, but then the struggle is also manifest in the fact that she's sort of perfectly turned out, but, but carrying, you know, 60 or 70 or 80 extra pounds so that she's aware that people, you know, it's that complication of like, you're strong, but you're also vulnerable. And, um, and, and, and in that, which I guess is true of most of us, right? <laughs> but, but that into that, that to have some, to have a man turn his attention on you, um, the way, the way that he does is, is, is one of those moments where you think, I can't, is this, is this really for me? Is this really happening to me? I, I had, I had renounced this. I had thought, you know, romance, there would not be a passionate love for me anymore, that it was, you know, but, and my daughter's growing up and, you know, now I won't be alone. And, you know, that, that, that actually you might not think of her as somebody who would fall for, for, fall in love in that way, but, but, but that, but that there's a logic, there's a logic to it because, because she's, she's, been so strong in such, so fierce in such a set of ways, and, and some parts of her have been unfulfilled for a long time. Yeah, it definitely challenged, you know, this idea that we have of, um, like, motherhood, and especially when it's a mother-daughter combo, if it's a single mom, you know, you describe the relationship kind of like a tree trunk and, like, the roots that wrap around, they're so intertwined, and yet, what could happen that a mother would put herself first? And that, you know, usually it's just the child is first, the child is first. But in this case, there is a, like, Bev's desire to, to be seen is so powerful, even though it kind of, the rifts then kind of impact the story, the family. In in my mind too, I feel like it it only makes sense because he comes through church, right? That if he came, if he if he sort of approached her at a restaurant or at somebody's party, having faith in God's plan and to believe that sort of God has brought you a person, is 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 different from thinking it is your um, your desire. Do you know what I mean? It's it's I, I think that the narrative. The narrative of faith mm. is is one about sign, you know. And if, for me, in writing this book, there are many different ways in which people are reading signs, or you know, um, thinking things are symbolic or meaningful. Um, it's part of the ways we make up fictions that that make our behavior make sense. But that for Bev, you know, that that's that's part of it is that there is a she she feels there's an or a sort of a, a, a narrative that that God has brought her this person. Right, which is which is different from I went out looking for a boyfriend. It is very different. 
I'm just thinking of if I can find God and it might it'll help me. <laughs> hmm. But another theme that kept coming up with the two girls, we can see if this is revealing too much, but kind of discover this wonderland or this scary place, you know, in the woods and an old abandoned asylum. And it felt like the echoes of the women that may have been there um, were kind of hearkening back to your other book, The Woman Upstairs, mm. and just this idea of kind of in another time, w- hysterical women, mad women were, were just shut shut away and that unfulfilled dreams, it made me realise that unfulfilled dreams can make a woman that way mm-hmm. too. And I'm kind of rambling a little bit but there was... I love. I have every, no one can see this, but I have so many notes here because I'm so obsessed with you and the book. And now, of course, I cannot find. That's the trouble with having many one, notes. <laughs> one quote. I know that experience that well. I found. Um, oh, here it is, right in front of me. This is what I loved. What would it, what would it have been like to have locked to have been locked up in one of those cells for weeks or months or years even at a time, only discover that, you, that you'd never really been a lunatic at all. I mean, I've heard you. I mean, I'm not going to make any parallel between what the quote I just read and your mother. <laughs> but because it's just reminding me of something that she said something quite powerful that was in the New York Times piece about how do you keep living your life once you realize that you won't see your dreams fulfilled? Um, which is her daughter. She was she was already um, suffering somewhat from dementia when she said that, which made me feel, but my initial thought was like, I am your daughter. Am I not your dream? Like, was I not your dream? But that's the thing that you realize when you grow up, right, is that you think when you're a kid that you're everything to your parents. And then you grow up, you're like, you mean I wasn't? I wasn't everything to you? Um, but but yes, I, I, I think... Um, I I think I mean there are sort of two two different sides of it and and and, and uh, of these one is this this um, matter of how you uh, of thwarted hopes or expectations or what you think might happen and and then the reality of your life that's something that all of us have to contend with. Um, there were all sorts of things I was going to do when I grew up and grew up and then I realized like oh no 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 I'm now I'm now grown up but they're not going to happen. Um, but 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 there's also how society deals with people who don't fit into what we want or expect of them, and you know that that's in part sort of the asylum part. Of, one of the echoes of that of that is that historically we we sort of physically put people away, um, and and I think we have other ways of putting people away um, that don't necessarily involve putting them in a physical locked locked up cell. Um, you know, we we have we have ways of dismissing them or keeping them down or, or keeping them out of the out of you know keeping them from bothering us, by by sort of telling so and, and and that's one of the things that that um, for me at least in the in the sort of uh, Cassie's story is that other people from outside are keen to mm. I, I mean they're they're keen to sort of make a story with an ending they want a story that is. That has a sort of satisfactory conclusion and an explanation, and then they then they can sort of put her away, right? Then she's sort of put in then she's put in a cell and locked up, even if it isn't an actual physical cell, and and yet her story doesn't is sort of resistant to that. It doesn't want to fall into the 
the the kind of um, our understanding of what a, a of what an interesting or even a, a, a normal story you know an interesting story would be and then you know she was abducted and then this and this happened interesting not in a cheerful mm. way but interesting in a dark way but a normal story would be and then you know and then she she had um, therapy twice a week for a year and a half and it was absolutely amazing like now she's on her way to Colombia. <laughs> so that would be, you know, that would be a sort of a, a redemptive version that had that had an explanation, but but if we if we have sort of these details and we don't know what to do with them, um, we can't put we can't put the story away. It's almost it's almost like ghosts, right? I mean, the whole idea of what a ghost is 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 a soul that can't be put to rest, right? Is it can't rest? The soul there's something unfinished. The soul can't rest, and I feel like what what we do with stories is make order and and shut things down. Even a sad story, a happy story, whatever, we, we want to make order and shut it down. And some things don't want to be shut down. Some things can't be shut down. Well, and speaking of ghosts, it makes me think of how Cassie, well, they're in the asylum and, um, you know, they're conjuring up these ghosts and Julia kind of makes fun at her friend, you know, and or is, you know, imagining these crazy ladies and being silly and Cassie kind of almost says, don't mock these ladies. Mm. And also then she kind of reflects on her father because her friend is like, well, your dad is a ghost. And she's like, no, 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 he's an angel. He's mm. not this one version. He's this other thing. And that brings us to a whole other topic, which we won't go into too much because we can't give too much away. But just... I mean, in terms of our parents and if a parent is absent, what did you want to say about this ability for our imaginations to make s such powerful narratives for us? And then what happens when that narrative is smashed because it cannot live up to whatever your mind has come up with? Right, right. I mean, I, I think there are certain... Um, I, th I think, we, I th I think we, make up, we make up stories all the time. And I think... You know, that's one of the things I was trying to sort of write about or articulate is the ways in which we're always, when the girls are, are young, they, they're they inventing fictions and everybody knows they're playing pretend and, you know, you you be the princess and I'll be the, the you know, evil witch or you be the king and I'll be the knight. But, but that we think that we stop making up stories. But actually we're always, um, we're always, living in fiction and people find very different set. I mean, you know, um, traditional religious narratives are one set of, whether you think of them as fictions or as reality, that's one set of things. But, um, I don't know if you have any friends who go to psychics, but I have friends who spend a great deal of money. <laughs> I do. Like, and the other day I thought, oh, maybe I should go. And then I thought, don't do it. But, but right, maybe, but, you know, but, oh, but, they, oh. but what those people are doing is providing you with a story. They're giving you a narrative that you think, okay, now I can just follow that. I understand that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be this life. I may just stay in my regular, but next life I'm going to be, you know, the, the queen of Egypt, like that's the next life. So whatever. I mean, but, the, but it's all about imposing these narratives. And, and I think we, 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 there are all sorts of ways in which we do this and we, and we, and we do. We often do it. Make up stories that will make ourselves seem acceptable to ourselves. So, like, if you behave badly to somebody, but then you have a story, you're like, well, no, no, you don't understand. If you had been there when she said da 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 to me, you would know that I had to do this, right? We so we create those stories. Um, but when it comes to these primal things like our parents, 
right? Um, I, I think it's, it's, um, it, you know, the, the, th the sometimes the stories that we, that we have to. I mean, the reason she has to make up a story about her father is in part isn't, and she hasn't. In the, she's always made up stories about her father in a way. She's seen him as an angel. This is Cassie, mm. but she's also feels she's losing her mother. And if you're losing your mother, what then? You know, so so it, it you know it's 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 almost as if her imagination is, and her attention is compensating for things she can't control, by making a story out of something that she can control. And and you know I just I think humanly that's our that's our tendency. You know what what can I, what if everything's out of control? What 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 am I in control of? What can I what can I actually know? What can I actually keep under my hand? And 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 you know, fiction's pretty useful to us for that. Is I mean, I felt reading more about you and learning more. I could feel. I mean, obviously, it's so corny. You know, when everyone's like, "You're in every character." I mean, I don't believe. I don't really believe that at all. Um, but I could, did feel the switch between the mother. You know, I thought, "Ooh." You're both Julia's mother and Julia mm -hmm. and Cassie, less so some of the other strange people. But, I mean, what was it like to, I mean, I guess when you're writing, you're always flipping back and forth between point of views and perspective. Some perspectives are harder to fully to inhabit than others or to really understand. I mean, I think, you know, it's true. It's true when you say you, you know the writer isn't all all, their, all the characters in their book, but but you have to be able to imagine something, mm. right? That's the that's the that's I think what's what's um, what's what's challenging. I always think that about you know some of Joyce Carol Oates's amazing novels, but some of them are very dark indeed. And she's like inhabiting the mind of a serial killer, or you know, and, and I'm like, wow, that's that. I don't. I couldn't. I don't have, I could not have, I couldn't, my imagination can't, I'm, I'm limited, I can't go there. I, I couldn't do that. Because if you can't imagine what it's like mm. to be inside somebody or how the way that they think, you can't animate them. You, then they won't seem real. Um, and, and, and I think it's certainly true um, that, that one of the experiences for me writing this book is, you know, I was a kid, it's a long time ago, but I was a kid, I, I am I am a mom of a daughter, you know. Um, so so I almost everything that I was imagining or thinking about, I was having this sort of double double layered experience of, which is both what it what it's like to be in it and what it's like to see it. So to to witness it, you know, and and um, and the difference in that perspective. And so 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 I was I was sort of alternating between those experiences when writing it. And I guess for one last question, because it feels like we've we've just started, but it, the time has whizzed by. Are you that mum who goes, this, I'm sorry, girls, but I'm a fem as a feminist, we can't <laughs> listen to this. Um, um, n not literally, but actually, <laughs> you know, actually that song was popular. Our kids were listening to the radio. And when I suddenly came, you know, I didn't at first, it's pretty catchy, that song. Right. Well, so many of them are and like that. And then you that. start to listen, and you're like, "Whoa, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wow, that is really, 
Oh, one of the lines is, I love the way you lie. Yeah. I love the way you lie to me. Yeah. I, I went and listened to it again. The, um, I wonder if we can put a little clip in with the rights. But it's, yeah, it's just an interesting... I also sometimes think, like in a way, like when writers come on and you think, why did you want to tell this story? Sometimes when I listen to lyrics like that, I'm like, Rihanna, why did you want to tell this story? Well, I wondered if it was a, a sort of um, cautionary tale story, you know, because of she did she I believe she had a domestic abuse mm. situation right earlier, some mm -hmm. years earlier. But that's certainly not how you know how the kids were experiencing that song, right? That's not that they were not thinking. This is an instructive and interesting uh, social commentary on you know no on domestic abuse. I don't think maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe the kids are more woke than you think. But I don't know, <laughs> right? Like it it didn't it seemed above all a, a weird juxtaposition of something so catchy and like sing along ish, and then and then this dark material. I find that even with songs. I mean so many songs now I'm going along and then I'm like whoa and I'm an older lady but you know I, I but to be fair I remember in school some hymn this was not in Australia this was in in this country but some hymn that we were all like belting out it was a hymn everybody liked and and, and then I was saying the blood of the slaughtered You're like, really? <laughs> what <laughs> you know I think the lyrics are often <laughs> unexpected well, thank you so much. Um, thank you. I love the book. I know we didn't. It's a. It's a difficult. Well, it's not difficult to talk about, but it's intricate, and we didn't want. There are kind of these twists and turns that we didn't want to reveal too much about. So everyone can go and read it for themselves. And now we get to have a lamington. <laughs> thank you. How exciting! Thank Thanks you so lot. much. Thanks a lot. Thank you. For more about this interview and about lit up in general, visit us at thelitupshow.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at LitUpShow. And of course, please don't forget to subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.